Hello, this is my podcast, Reeta ja Impro-ihmiset. Reeta and Impro-people. Usually this is in Finnish, but now it's in English. This podcast is about people that do Impro as their job. Uh, this interview has been taken in summer 2017 after FIF, Finland International Impro Festival, and after an after party of this festival. So it's Sunday, and the party has been really late or really early. Anyways, sun was shining whole night through. I had great pleasure to meet Joe Bill in this festival. Uh, in the festival there were so many great people, so many good workshops and good shows. If you haven't been in FIF, you should totally come next summer. But now to the interview, which happened in a bar after an after party and Joe Bill. Great improviser, great teacher, and a great person. So, enjoy. Ba, 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 ba. I have the Joe Bill uh, with beside me, sitting in the couch. So, I want to ask you, when did you start impro? Or how did you figure out impro to your life? When I was in school, I was 15 years old. I had impro as part of my theater class and acting, and I loved it immediately. And um, so now that was 40 years ago, uh, this September. So I've been doing it a long time. And how did uh, impro come to your profession? Um, it's my life has sort of been a big impro. Um, I know it's something that was uh, something I always loved, and uh, I think I think I've always been someone who uh, I don't I like to question conventions. I like to question rules and how things are supposed you know supposed to be, uh, and so I believe my brain maybe has always been wired for impro. But uh, when I, I did it in college, and then when I moved to Chicago in 1985, um, I was doing stand-up comedy, and that seemed very... Um, it was fun to do, but it was also very lonely, and you didn't get to collaborate with people. And I did okay, but it got to the point where I had to audition for people if I was going to be on TV, and then they would tell me what part of my stand-up act to do, and I was right back in that same place of people trying to tell me what to do with my life and um, I just had a pattern I think through the first 30 years of my life where it's like I, d I don't like people telling me what to do with my life and so because I've chosen to do my own thing and because I don't like working by myself but I like working with other people I think these two factors have made it natural for me to to Um, become a professional improviser or just all of a sudden I woke up one day and I went hey I'm a professional improviser mm -hmm. so I don't know how to draw up the plan for somebody but that's just how it worked yeah so how did you study 
impro? I think I just, I studied by doing it, but we also, in the university, we read uh, some of Viola Spolin's Games for the Theater, and then also Keith Johnstone's Impro, and uh, a book by Jeffrey Sweet called Something Wonderful Right Away, which is the history of Second City in Chicago. And so in, in each of these, you know, you saw like the beginning of games and the history of like why Spolin used um, games for immigrants, like an immigrant woman that would come to Chicago and they would, she would have them do gibberish games so they could communicate and, um, and use games to bring people together. Or like an impro, uh, the big thing, I think the things that struck most people in the States were Keith Johnstone's talking about story and talking about status um, and the status of in conversation and then the status of position. Uh, and then Something Wonderful Right Away showed how you can use impro to cre create sketch uh, and you can use these sketches to either comment on society or just to comment on human condition or point out the silly things that people do that are funny because we take ourselves so seriously and we should. So um, I'd say those, those were the first those are the first three books, and then really is just I got I was in this college impro group, and uh, we performed every week, and we would do sketch and impro, and then it be, it I knew I had to move to Chicago because that is the impro mecca of the United States, so I moved up there to study, and um, even when I did stand up, I was still doing impro, and it and it's just something uh, I kept coming back to, and you know now the way I study, I think for almost the last eight, eight or nine years, I've just been interested in traveling the world and going to see how other people do it and how other people play and what other cultures find funny and what are the, the different characteristics and traits of other cultures. So my learning naturally, my impro learning is just, it's about learning about life and learning about other people and it's, uh, it's probably the thing that makes me the most happy. So, do you have like um, the memory or something have you like stick up with? Like this is the impro moment of your life, or something that have moved you, or something? I think um, when I was in high school, uh, I also played basketball, and I got cast in a play, and this play would conflict with basketball practice. This is my senior year, so my last year of high school before university. And I asked the basketball coach if I could get out of basketball practice early for a couple of weeks while I did rehearsals for the play. And he said, uh, you know, you, you need to dedicate yourself and you, you know, have to make a decision. And the year before, I was the captain of the junior varsity team and, and our team was very good. Uh, And it, so it was, it was a tough decision, but I knew in my heart that I would not be playing basketball for the rest of my life. And I knew that performing made me happy. So I quit the basketball team. And this is, you know, an impro where usually every minute we're faced with one or two choices that you have to make. And 
the key of it is if you understand who your character is, you're always faced with the question, who am I? And so that moment for me when I quit the basketball team is the first time I really said, this is who I am. And that basketball team went on to win the state championship in basketball in the state of Indiana where I was from, which the state of Indiana is crazy about high school basketball. So my father was very disappointed when I quit and then it hurt even more when I did not win my state championship ring. But later on that year, they, uh, the, the thespian, so, so there's, do you have thespians here? It's a, I it, don't know. It's a, in high school, so thes, it's named after Thespis, the, the first Greek actor that stepped out and spoke the, the line. So it's, it's basically a drama club. Okay. Yeah. But it's an international like society. Uh, and they have a thespian conference in high school. And they had, our comedy and improv group got invited to this conference. And then a play that we did got invited to this conference. And I was in both of these. So all the high schools, you show your plays and you do your shows. And then at the end, they have an award ceremony. And so I was, that same year, I was named to the Indiana All-Star cast, and then I was named the top actor in the state. Oh. And so this is, this is where I look at this as the moment I became who I am. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And even though I lost something that was painful to me, because I would have loved to have had that state championship ring, um, the the payoff of doing well at the festival and getting this honor of being named best in the state, uh, it's the thing I keep coming back to where I said, oh, I have to be true to myself. And if I am truly in my heart an improviser and I like to play with other people, um, that was a time, in a way, by saying, no, I'm not going to play basketball, that was me saying, no, I am not going to work in the business world. I will not work in a bank. I will not do something traditional. So, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, well, uh, as, um, how do you think that, uh, because improv, you can do improv, improv without uh, knowing acting skills. Mm -hmm. So, how much do you think that uh, is good to have acting skills when you are doing improv? I think it's... Because there's so many styles of impro, I think there are certain styles where acting skills help you a lot. And I know people who've never taken an acting class who, as a result of doing impro for a while, all of a sudden they kind of become very good actors, or at least in an impro sense, if you're telling a story or if you're creating a play out of nothing. Um, you learn how to be connected to your scene partners. You learn how to be connected to the room or the space that you're in and to have things mean something in a way that is th theatrical. So it's, it's kind of like um, an elevated way to pretend. So rather than just sitting around the, you know, as kids and grabbing sticks and pretending like you are you know, gladiators with swords, you're, you're trying to create a story that an audience can follow that looks like a piece of theater that is written. Or in the way that I play with a couple of my partners, like with Patty Styles, we are usually trying to do 
to create something that is a play or a, a series of plays uh, like we did the other night, where even though we do three different styles, we were using acting skills to make the variation happen. On the other hand, there's, there is something to be said for just a natural ability to listen, be, be responsive, be clever, uh, be honest. Um, and uh, you don't really need acting skills for that. And if you're doing you know, impro comedy and you wanna, you're playing fast games, um, some of it I don't think requires the type of listening or the type of the types of skills that you would bring to something that would unfold more slowly. So, what kind of impro you like nowadays? What do you like? Or what do you like specifically in impro now? I'm really interested in seeing how people in other countries play. And uh, I love seeing countries with cultures that are different from the United States. You know how that culture is reflected on stage. Do uh, you see uh, what are the differences? Well, well, like for instance, in Sweden, there's there's a couple of groups in Sweden, and they love to do just dark Swedish plays, and it's always nighttime, and someone's always depressed, and someone's going to kill themselves, and there's a, you know, uh, I have a friend named Anders Force, and I. They were from Stockholm and Victoria Bang. They did, uh, it wasn't Strindberg, but it was some, you know, improvised, just improvised Swedish play. And it will always happen, you know, we, as we open, it is nighttime. And a, a solitary figure sits, uh, uh, so this would be like what they would call typical s Swedish. Um, and that's more than, uh, years ago when I would be in college and I would learn some Swedish uh, playwrights. I never got to see a play, you know, that was directed by somebody Swedish or, uh, you know, movies, yeah. But to see them improvise something that's just so, you would never see something like this improvised in America. Um, uh, the, so, some of the Slovenians Uh, the group in, did you say Ljubljana? Ljubljana? I don't know, maybe. Uh, so it's the name that's impossible for me to pronounce <laughs> correctly. They did, um, I was at a conference with them in Germany about seven or eight years ago, and they did a, a, uh, an improvised podcast where they would ask someone to tell a personal story. Uh, I, a story that was life-changing or that had impact on them. And during the pot, as you told the story, they had um, sound effects, different types of music, and they would underscore your story as it told it. And then they would change the music in, uh, to bring about a feeling that they hear in your story. That means they want you to speak more in that direction. So it's it's personal story, but it's also a little bit of embellishment, and they take that towards them. What's the dark side? What's the where is the pain in this? What is the honest human um, revelation in this based on the music we gave you? And there was 
we did this with a festival cast of 12, and there was four or five people that said, no, this is too personal, I won't do it this way. Oh. Because they did not want to reveal. But I found it to be liberating and very, like, very, very interesting. And I, I felt like they were very skilled at... So they, they were like actor stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're actor stories, yeah. personal stories. Yeah. And you all have the headphones on, so you can hear what's being played but you can't see what she's queuing up on the soundboard oh. and it's uh, it was it was really uh, as a as an audio person um, an audio engineer from the old days uh, I really I really enjoyed how seamlessly they would shift what was underneath your story and, and when something would come up it was like you would get a, a clue to say, yeah, talk more deeply about that, but it was only done by a musical cue. Um, I'd never seen that before, and I and I didn't know anything about Slovenia before I met them. Um, and then uh, a lot of a lot of the improvisers from South America are very physical, and they have you know circus skills and uh, movement skills that are beyond what most Americans have. Um, so, you know, these, those, that would be three examples of just something I would have, I don't think I would have ever experienced had I, you know, only decided to work in the United States. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you think that how much improvisation, impro actors are showing themselves to the audience? Are they are doing like revealing or eventing yeah it's probably a mixture but I mean even when they're inventing aren't they aren't they showing something about themselves yeah from a psychological point of view <laughs> <laughs> if they're just up there inventing and they're not being honest well then you can probably decide a few things about them that would not be too far off sometimes people that are very guarded Or people that are neurotically, manically, have manic funny. There's usually something darker underneath. Or or maybe a fear of revealing themselves or honestly about themselves because of their own self-judgment. That can result in them wearing this manic mask. Um, and I think... Uh, There's literally times where you're just in a scene and you would answer as your character would answer as your as you would answer yourself because you've lived through stuff. Uh, and then I also think that there's people that are just naturally uh, able to be honest in the moment, as opposed. Uh, and that is that's that's also to say they don't come up with a lot of stuff. Uh, that sounds like bullshit or that you know they're not trying to invent something or they can't because they're just direct here's here's what's happening here's uh, here's here's what is obviously here I will just say that so I guess the answer is I think people are always showing themselves either literally or by how they improvise That's pretty deep psychological. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But this is me. Yeah, you like uh, like 
to think uh, impro as a style like like psychology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's uh, I mean psychology is how we cope with anything, and so since improvisation is just it's new and it's um, it, it will never be the same way twice. There'll be similarities or. Part of the game is to surprise each other while you support each other, to to be psychologically healthy and know what how what love and support is for someone, and then to have love and support within the context of a scene that's happening that might feel like the opposite of that, like a conflict scene or uh, something like that. I think it's helpful to understand psychology so that you can understand how to align yourself with what the other person thinks or if you're in conflict it's helpful to know psychologically what is it inside you that makes you resistant so yeah there's one step farther down the psychology basement for you yeah um then i want to ask you uh Do you see like uh, the difference when people are doing improv as a profession or as a hobby? Oh, that's a good question. Or do you think that there is anything different? I think there could be. I mean, you would expect that if somebody's a professional improviser, that your their consistency is going to probably be far better than someone who's just an amateur. But there's also people in the United States who are, you know, they're working people and they're making big money doing something else and they still keep impro in their life a little bit. So maybe they'll do you know, one or two or three shows a month and they're brilliant. They're just, they're just freaking brilliant. But the, the, the one guy I'm thinking of right now, his, his father was a sports agent, like a sport, sports lawyer and he went into his father's business uh, and so he's learning to like represent top athletes and you know litigate stuff and he's making really good money as a lawyer uh, and sometimes you don't see him for a couple of months but then all of a sudden if he's in between cases or in between seasons he'll be around all the time for two weeks and and it's just to watch him play Uh, he's a guy that's just very funny. He has a unique take on things. And I would have a hard time saying that there's that many people in the world that are better than he is. But he's probably the exception to the rule. I guess maybe it's, I mean, it's an interesting question. Is like, does professional or amateur have any bearing on the quality of what you see? And... The first thought is, well, yeah, it should have, but just like anything, it's you know, it's not an absolute. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned impro quality because we had this talk uh, like yesterday. What is impro quality? Uh-huh. So what what do you think? What is uh, quality impro? I think it's, I think there's a lot of ways to measure it. So it's what is impro quality? to an audience might be different than what is impro quality to the improviser and that might be different than what is impro quality to a teacher um, for me the quality of the impro will be a consequence of the agreement by the actors who are doing it 
to be present, to be focused, to be playful, um, to be engaged in listening to one another. Um, I tend to, if I see improvisers on stage that are either scared or self-conscious or only half halfway there, then it doesn't matter what kind of impro it is. I usually, I mean, I usually sit by the door anyway, but I will usually go out the door fairly quickly if if I see that people are not fully present and ready to play. So that's maybe that's my answer. Yeah. Uh, the next one I want to ask you: How do you get money from impro? How? Well, the easy answer is money is in the teaching. And then to get paid for performances is trickier. Uh, but I think if it, if this is something that some poor soul wants to pursue for the rest of their life, I'd say it's uh, in all of your years before your 30s, you need to expose yourself to as much life and as much impro as possible. And also read books, learn movies, listen to music, anything in the arts. And be in your mind prepared to either start teaching or be teaching by the time you're 30. And if you can teach kids when you're 22 or 23, uh, teaching is just as much of a journey as impro is because I feel like every year I get a little bit better I learn a little bit more as a teacher and uh, uh, but I, I think that uh, step one to money is teaching and then step two is finding the right people to play with so that you know if you are when you are charging a festival to be there just for performance that you are you know that you're worth the ticket price that they're asking for it I think sometimes for, fest for festivals where you get paid uh, I think impro groups go there and say oh well they're oh it's a paying gig so awesome uh, we're getting paid but they don't really think in terms of you know people are paying $25 to see you tonight Are you ready to do a $25 show? Uh, sometimes money is a dirty word in improv because we just, when we're, when we're playing, we just want to be connected to each other, not thinking about the finances. But it's something that it's something that I've had to form a better relationship with <laughs> the last 10 years of my life, and uh, you know, and I guess. The, the, the other part of it is the way to make money at Impro is to also do something else where you make money while you're doing Impro. And in a way, that's making money doing Impro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I had this question. I, I can't remember it, but... Um, uh, well... Oh, uh, it had it um, on my mind. Money, money career. Career. Um, What was it? Um, creation. Creation. Travel. Travel. 
do you want to tell about your traveling? <laughs> do I want to tell about my traveling? <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I'm very lucky because I was around when, when improv festivals were first starting in the United States. And this would have been in the 90s, 1990s. And, uh, and when, we, when we were at tour, it was because the professorvals were this brand new thing, like nobody really knew what they were other than there would be impro shows and impro classes. And we, our group, the first group that, that toured was, it's called the Screw Puppies from the Annoyance Theater. It was just like a late night, kind of dirty, raunchy, midnight drinking show. And when we took it on the road, we would adjust it a little bit, but a lot of times festivals would use our show to, you know, for closing night or like the closing Friday and Saturday. And then part of the show was such a spirit of everybody partying with each other that that started to be the finishing touch on going to a festival is you all work together, you play together, you improvise together, and then you party together. And in partying together, when people are having drinks and they're letting their guards down and you're telling stories about yourself and you're telling stories to each other about where you're from and what the culture is, um, it gives people a chance to learn and feel and hear about other parts of the world that they don't live in. Um, and so, Impro has grown so much and this, this party part of it is always a part of it, that in a way, Impro itself started traveling even more than people started traveling, if that makes sense. The, the stories travel, the uh, if I, when I go back to Chicago, I can tell 50 different people about our meeting and the time we spent together and the fun we've had and doing this podcast and describe Finland a little bit. And then those 50 people now have knowledge of an interaction that two people had. Um, so there's another one of my crazy psychological connected to everything answers. But I first started touring outside of the United States uh, around uh, the early 2000s, not counting Canada because we're they're right next door. But um, and I'm also since I'm over 50, I'm I'm at the age where the the instructors in Chicago. Uh, I'm one of the old guys now. Like I, I'm a young old guy, and uh, so my touring first started with just a curiosity about places that I wanted to go. Um, but then there were people also that recommended me. Uh, and I was just lucky that I, oh, that I started, I, the first place I went over here outside of England was Würzburg, Germany. And I had people that recommended me both as a teacher and, a, and an improviser. And, um, and now it's, I think I've been I don't know if I can name all the countries, but I think I've been in Europe to uh, between 10 and 15 different countries. And I've been to Australia, I've been to South Africa. Um, I think I'm gonna do Asia next year. I'm going to Dubai later this year. And I might go to Israel. But, uh, so other than just do a chronicle of all the different places I've gone, um, you know, that's what I'm doing now. And, and I mean, I could, if I wanted to, I could probably book out 
the next three years on my schedule, but uh, I also have to balance that against home a little bit too. So, but I love it. It's one of the highlights of my life. I remember the question now. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to um, ask uh, about impro reviews because in Finland we don't have a review like impro shows. Like in the newspaper? Yeah. Do you have like? Yeah, there's um, because Chicago is the home of of impro. That the newspapers will cover it, and then there's bloggers. No, that yeah. cover it. And uh, same thing in New York. Uh, I don't know. I would assume in LA there's some entertainment writers that are for that, and then, and then in cities like Austin, Texas, uh, Minneapolis. No, they're just starting to get reviewers to look at it because they don't know whether to review it as theater or they don't. It, do we do we do this as theater or comedy? Yeah. And. Um, I don't think Finland has like comedy reviews also, so they only have theater reviews. Theater reviews. So. Yeah, I think it, I think a good idea for someone in Finland, if they ever wanted to be a writer, would would be uh, write a blog and go and look at and cover all the impro that's in Finland, and then just keep a blog of that and. Uh, And then somehow give send some of the best pieces to the newspapers to show what it would already look like, because it doesn't cost you anything to to write a blog. And more, there's more and more. There's so many bloggers that do reviews yeah. about improv. They're just improv nerds, and they love to do it. And some of them, uh, whether they're right or wrong, like they they write very well, and they at least can articulate their reasoning. And it's beyond just oh that was funny or that wasn't funny, um, or I like this person and I didn't like this person. They they are actually able to articulate thoughts about what it is that they saw. That. Uh, But do you have to have the understanding of improv? Because many of people doesn't know improvisation yet. Uh, the rules. You mean stuff. like yeah. does a critic need to know? Yeah. I mean, do critics really know anything? But <laughs> except for criticizing, it's uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think anybody can be a critic. <laughs> Not, oh god, I hope this doesn't get reviewed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if if that's a if that's if that's difficult in Finland, just know it's also difficult in a lot of places. Yeah. And there's. <coughs> Excuse me. There's markets, uh, or cities in the United States where they there's been a really strong impro scene for ten years or more, and they're still trying to get people in to review the shows. I think maybe one difficulty is that theater reviewers, who ideally would be the people that review it, um, there's a little bit of a stuffiness about them. Um, And they know a lot about plays, and, and plays live on and continue to live on after they're written, directed, and performed. Where impro, impro shows are over, and there's no evidence of them that lingers, other than the review. Um, so that's a that's an odd 
fact, why would you know? Why would you review something that is going, that is already over and will never yeah. be exist again? It doesn't help us any, but yeah. maybe that's a barrier that we need to get over. Yeah. Um, do you like uh, what is the form that you like play now? Do you? My favorite is is anything that's with two people probably. Um, my form with Jill Bernard Scram is maybe the most difficult thing I do, and that's three scenes that are theoretically all going on at the same time. That's just played by the two of us. Um, I also love doing my fishing show Bass Prov with my partner Mark Sutton because uh, we were the first ones to just say we're going to sit in one place and talk and not do other scenes for an hour while we're fishing and drinking beer and so I'm, I love that that was the first you know what they call a mono scene and I love that it's just us sit, like I love that that we have made a name for ourselves and been reviewed by the New York Times theater critic as you know this brilliant show by defying uh, defying what would be right at the top of bad ideas for improvisation I got like really high on improvisation bad idea don't just sit there and talk mm -hmm. so And based on what I said earlier, you can see how uh, <laughs> that would be a favorite of mine because it seems like maybe this is who I grew up to be. And I also like doing our play with Patty Styles because it gives us a chance to do something more theatrical and something that looks like a piece of theater. And because she learned from a different guru than I learned from and her style of play is different than mine, we have we we act and perform in uh, stylistically kind of different. She's a little more presentational than I am. I'm a little bit more sort of realism than she is. But I think both of those play off of each other. You know, I think she draws a little out of me, and I think I ground her a little bit. And she's a genius. Uh, and she's a genius about the way we are connected and creating in the moment. I probably have more silent conversation with her than with any other duo improviser I have. The way that we're looking at each other and just, we can see the tilts and shifts. So there's something that's really cool about that, but I don't know that, I don't even know if you can observe it. Yeah, it was the best show I oh. have seen, so. Oh. Well, cool. Well, then, yeah, then yeah. it's obvious for yeah. everyone. Then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could see our thoughts. And yeah, it is kind of cool that two people from two such traditionally, you know, strong points of view, and this is how it's done, can just find each other, never rehearse or practice together, and we just walked on stage, and we're both prepared to play. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's technique or maybe that's skill or maybe that's luck I don't know I don't know <laughs> I, I think it's skill not luck it's probably lucky that I found her and yeah. then it's after that it's our skill yeah it, yeah it's skill it's hard for both of us 
we, we know we are who we are. We know we've done this for a long time. But because improv could all go horribly wrong at any moment, um, you don't you don't want to pat yourself on the back too hard. Yeah. Take yourself like <laughs> I'm very very skilled because maybe that's the that's saying that is the thing that breaks the you know it's the curse that breaks the <laughs> gift. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Oh, you're so welcome. Now I'm hugging you on tape. <laughs> ba 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 ba.